0: You guys alright? You happy you came to church this morning? Alright, would you give the Lord a hand? Why don't you give someone a big squeeze? And you may be seated. Thank you so much. As you're being seated, I'll have the ushers come forward. We're gonna prepare for this morning's tithes and offering. Thank you, worship team. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not get bent out of shape. Well done. I think that's in there somewhere. <laughs> Amen. As the ushers come forward and we prepare for this morning's tithes and offerings, I'm just always challenged when we give... That we understand that we give never as a debt that we owe, but always as a seed that we sow. This is how we take what God's entrusted to us and we invest it in the advancement of his kingdom here on earth. The things that you see around here happen because you guys give. The impact we make in our community happens because you guys give. And my Bible says that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. So we never give out of guilt or compulsion. We celebrate knowing that we cannot outgive the creator of the universe. And so God, this morning, we give just excited to partner with you because we see what you're doing. We see what you're doing in our midst. We know what you can do in our community and beyond. And because of that, God, it is a privilege to partner with you. So we trust you and we step out of faith and we give knowing that it's our chance, God, to partner with what you already are going to do. And so, God, it's our chance and worship to you to even get blessed as part of that process. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So please be blessed as you give. This morning, you guys are in for a treat. I am excited. Um, some of you I haven't met yet. I'm Mike. It's awesome to you. I've been here. I was doing the math. I think this is week 13 uh, since, uh, since uh, we came, my family and I, and uh, actually about 11 weeks since we moved because we were kind of commuting uh, from Oregon before that, and it has been such a joy to go on this journey with you, Celebration Center, and uh, we have been so blessed. I want to say something about how beautiful my wife is because she just walked in the door, but she'll kill me for that later. It has been a joy. Uh, to do this, but I am so blessed because we've got a family member with us today who is going to come and share the word. Now, I have known Kelly Armstrong since way back in the day. I had as much hair then as Kelly still has now. When we, uh, when we met, I was just a, a snot-nosed kid right out of Bible college, and we were in Spokane, and I was an intern, and I think he was kind of my boss. At least he felt like he was my boss. It felt like he was my boss, and we were at his home church uh, at that, that time in Spokane. And since then, um, he came and served here wonderfully and was a part of the life of this church. And then you may not know this, but if you're part of Celebration Center, if you call this home, then there are arms of ministry all over uh, this community and beyond uh, that are happening because of the investment that began right here here and so kelly planted a church center church in spokane i won't steal all the thunder i'll let him tell his stories uh but we wanted to just say uh welcome back to kelly so we prepared a little uh video for him and then he will come and share the word and when he comes up will you help me welcome him uh in, in uh in a celebration center way amen is a great
1: guy he is funny, he is uh, athletic-ish, um, he is a genuine guy, I, I, he embodies
2: uh, to me much of what I like to see in the church, people who are approachable and kind and love Jesus. He is a, like, hyper, he's like a, like a hyper little kid, but then he's really serious and funny and nice. He got me into youth group, which is really awesome because I was... I don't know. I was kind of a loner kid, so it was kind of great having someone, like a mentor there, to kind of pull me in the way God so wanted me to go. Well, I don't really know him, but I've seen him at church, and I know that he's good, so, and he's cool, so, he's really good. He's cool. Didn't she win American Idol? <laughs> thank you, been <thank> gone. <laughs> uh, I don't know. He's a really good friend. He's taught me a lot about God and finding my spiritual self. He's bald. He has three kids and a wife And Kelly. Nope. <laughs>
0: Kelly Armstrong is like, it's like a really delicious piece of meat. You just want to slice him up and hand him out to all your friends.
2: A really amazing heart for restoration.
0: My good friend.
2: He's good golf. Camp director.
1: Husband,
2: youth pastor. A daddy, passionate. Pastor.
0: <laughs> What's one thing you've learned from Kelly Armstrong? Um,
2: that when you're using one piece of toilet paper, um, and you're in the army, cut off the little tip to use for under your fingernail.
1: gotta be honest, I'm getting the piece of meat thing less and less uh, these days. And uh, if you're wondering what I looked like when I was bald, I think that picture's still out there. You have my permission to, you know, take that picture down if you need to. Um, Thanks for for having us. A quick little trip down memory lane, because the snafu with the technology reminded me of an incident that happened about five years ago when I was first on staff here. We were doing a series from the book of Mark, and you might remember the stage used to be actually on that side of the room. And we had these huge letters right here, M-A-R-K, and somebody accidentally knocked down the M. Pfft, the M came down, and Diron Van Wagner turned to Pastor Chris and said, looks like God wants you to talk about Noah today. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty pretty awesome.
2: Uh,
1: yeah, my name's Kelly. If we haven't met before, hi. It's really nice to meet you. Uh, I was uh, with my wife, Brandy, and our three kids. We were on staff here from 2010, and we left uh, right at the beginning of 2013 to plant a church in Spokane. And uh, it's called Center Church. And I just want to say right up front, thank you so much for being such a great big brother church to Center Church, and several others like ours as well. Uh, it's, going, it's going awesome. I don't, want to, I don't want to belabor all the details, uh, because I have a limited amount of time with you, and I really, really desire to open up God's Word and, and encourage you today. Uh, but it's going great; it's going really, really well, and uh, I look forward to our continued friendship. One of my biggest fears, as uh, as you have made the transition and Pastor Mike has come in, uh, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but a lot has changed here. I don't know if you picked up on that, last time I was here was last November that I was with you on a Sunday morning. A lot's changed, and uh, I was. I was thinking to myself, Lord, just, just let the new pastor be somebody I know and somebody that likes me, <laughs> because those are two completely different categories of people, and uh, that way I can still have a relationship with Celebration Center, because it's so valuable to me, and I just want to tell you that uh, we love you. We miss you. This is this is square one for us. This is such a haven for us, and will be forever for the rest of our lives, and uh, so uh, thank you so much for your investment and your friendship. Uh, we're, just, we're just really, really grateful. You have entered into a new season. See what I did there? I know all of you are well aware that Pastor Mike's been preaching a sermon series called A New Season. And uh, you're entering a new season as a church. And we are as well at Center Church. For the first time ever, right, we're, we just had our second birthday last month. For the first time ever, we're looking around going, where are we going to put everybody? uh, you know, we like second service. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of work, but how awesome would it be? You know, if God pushed us that direction and next month for the first time since we've been there, I'm going on vacation. I've been, I've been pushing this ball uphill for the last few years. And I'm finally at the point where I'm confident that if I let go, it will not roll back and crush me. I can walk away for two weeks and it'll be good. So uh, God knows I need it. I had to go to a cardiologist some, this summer for the first time in my life. And uh, this was his exact words at the end. He said, your, your blood pressure is good. Your cholesterol is good. Your resting heart rate is good. You have zero risk factors. No family history. You just need to chill out. <laughs> so, uh, so that's what I'm going to do next week. And uh, I just want to say thanks so much for your investment. Enough with the pleasantries, Chris. Let's get on with it. Uh, let's try a little exercise just for fun. I'm going to give you 10 seconds. I want you to turn to someone next to you and just tell them one, two, three of your favorite movies all time. Tell them the title of a movie or two that you just love. Go, Go ahead. You're still chatty, I can see. So at least that hasn't changed. I thought about what a few of my favorites would be. The first one I thought of was, of course, Star Wars, specifically Episode 5, because most Star Wars geeks—I was going to say buffs, but then I was like, well, let's just be honest—agree that Star Wars Episode 5 is the best of the episodes. Luke, I am your father. Star Wars Episode 5. And then how about Braveheart, right? Like, one one of the best movies of my generation. What's more, what's more exhilarating than William Wallace fighting for the love of country and the honor of his woman? Just makes me want to get a kilt and wear it. I don't know. How about Forrest Gump? Who's seen Forrest Gump? Uh, maybe the greatest movie of my generation. I was in high school when Forrest Gump came out. I mean, it's so smart such a smart movie and it's funny and it's really sad there are times when you're like oh my gosh i hate this movie it's so sad and it's so funny i mean it's just so smart the acting is incredible and there's all these really good one-liners right really good ones like this life's like a box of chocolates you never know what you're gonna get right you you know that one mama always said stupid is as stupid does right incredible incredible movie Uh, and i've always thought you know i'm I'm a pastor so i do this probably 40 sundays a week and and speak publicly at some other things it's part of what i do i've always thought i could save myself so much work if i just got to the end of what i was going to say and just said that's all i got to say about that (laughs) i've never tried it today might be the day who knows Uh, But I have just thought that's a lot easier than, you know, like a good uh, conclusion that I usually try to tie everything in a neat bow. I should just end like that. Near the end of the movie, there's this scene where Forrest is at the grave of his wife, Jenny. And the short backstory is Forrest has loved Jenny his whole life, and she has treated him miserably. She's broken his heart a thousand times. She's just lived this reckless life, made terrible, terrible decisions, and she ends up dying a very young death at the end of her life when she has nowhere else to turn Forrest is there man his love for her will not quit ever no matter what and Forrest is there Jen, jenny dies a, a tragic young you know she dies young and Forrest is there at the end of her her life and he says you know i'm not sure who was right could have been lieutenant dan could have been mama do we just show up here, just all accidental-like, and just float through life like a feather on the breeze? That's what Lieutenant Dan says. Or do we have a destiny? Which is it? Do we have a purpose? Do we have a mission? Do we have a function? Or are we really just we just here? And I think part of the reason we all love the movie, the story of Forrest Gump, is that it wrestles with the question of human existence. Why am, I, why am I here? Why am I doing this? Does it, does it matter? I mean, really, we're, we're ash to ash and dust to dust. So am I, just, am I just floating? Or is there a purpose? Is there a point to my existence? And I understand the sentiment in my mind of, yeah, you know, we're just floating for however long God says we have here, and then that's the end. I, I can sort of get on board with that in my mind. The problem is, for most of us, our soul will just not rest there. You know what I mean? Like, my soul is just not okay that I'm just, I'm just burning up the clock here until the end. And I think the fact that my soul won't rest on it is probably evidence that we're created for something more, for an actual destiny, that there is intent, there is a purpose, there is a mission behind our existence. And once I got to the point in my life where I came to grips with the reality of the biblical narrative, uh, I'm a cognitive processor. Like, you show me the facts and the sequence, and at the end, I'll believe you. Um, that's, just, that's how I function. Once I got to the point in my life where I was on board with the biblical narrative, like, yeah, the, the most logical possibility is that the Bible's true. Once I got to that point, then the answers to the question started to jump off the page. Several really familiar Bible verses. Try this one. The most, the most well-known coffee cup verse in all the Bible. Pastor Mike and I and I just shared a moment around this one earlier. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you a hope and a future for prosperity and not harm. That's, that's what God tells us in Jeremiah 29:11. Now, if you've been a Christian for more than five years, you probably own at least two coffee cups with that verse on it, a poster, and possibly a T-shirt. If you live in eastern Washington where I'm from, that same T-shirt probably has a picture of an eagle holding an American flag on it. Uh, <laughs> because if your shirt doesn't have an eagle with a flag on it, you don't, you don't belong in eastern Washington. You won't last I don't know if that verse, if I could necessarily take that and apply it to every situation in my life, because God was talking to a specific group of people. However, it does tell us something about God, if nothing else. It tells us that he plans ahead, that he's thoughtful in his design, that he's thought about the end from the beginning, that his moves are calculated. They're not arbitrary. He's thought it through. He's got plans and purpose. Philippians 1.6 says, I am certain that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ returns. It sounds to me like God's got a plan for what's next. It sounds to me like God's thinking about tomorrow and 100 years from now. God's planned ahead. And even better news, he's not going to quit on the plan until everything is completed. He will not quit on you, so don't quit ever on yourself. God is not going to quit. Ephesians 2.10 Maybe my favorite verse in the Bible, or at least the one I quote the most often, says, For we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. My, my friend and mentor and pastor taught me to love that verse. I quote it often. Uh, I lead with it all the time. God created you as his masterpiece. In all of the creative order, humanity is right at the pinnacle. Not a hair could fall from your head or your head apart from God knowing. Because you are his masterpiece, and he's prepared in advance a mission, a purpose for your life. And maybe the most pointed verse in the Bible about the sovereignty of God is Acts twenty seven, twenty six, is Acts seventeen twenty six, which says, From one man God created all the nations throughout the whole earth, and he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. He determined the time and the place where you would live. God's got plans. He planned ahead for you. And the Bible is overwhelmingly clear about the fact that God's made you with care. And as Pastor Mike said earlier, he's put you where you are. He's put you when you are. He chose for you to be in this room ahead of time. He's not winging it. I know I go through life a lot of time feeling like, I'm winging it. God's never winging it. He's always got a plan. If there's any question after reading the Bible about whether or not God has a purpose and a mission for your life, then we really have a new question, and that is, what do I believe about the Bible? Because the Bible is extremely clear. God has a purpose for you. And we don't have time to unpack all of that. I just want to say this this one thing about it, that the Bible never apologizes for the fact that faith, is a necessary ingredient. In order for you to walk in the purpose and the plans that God has for you, faith is going to be part of the equation. Faith will be necessary for us to walk with God. And, and I, uh, there's a, a Christian, I'll put that in air quotes, a Christian university near where we live. And I've taken some classes there and have some faculty members for friends and and, uh, you know, it's, there's definitely some liberalism happening there. So I get to have all these great interactions with uh, college students, young adults who uh, I'm twice their age. I can't really believe how that happened, but uh, who are really questioning their faith in God. Do I believe God even exists? And a lot of them are just, you know, self-proclaimed atheists. Well, you know, the, the tension point between us is that if they're going to be the atheist, that's, if that's what you believe, I, I love you. The problem is you have to have every single fact. There is no room for faith in your belief system because you don't believe in faith. But Jesus not only says faith is okay to fill in the gaps when you're not sure, but he says it's required. You can't come to me apart from faith. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Here's the trouble with faith. It means risk. It requires risk. If there was no risk involved, you wouldn't need faith because you'd already, you'd already know. Faith is risky. Faith and risk go together like Tom Brady and underinflated footballs. <laughs> you can deny it, but come on. Really? Faith and risk, they just, they go together. They're part of the same equation. God's got plans laid for you. And he's got plans laid for this church as a community of Christ followers. He's got big plans on every account, but it's going to require some risk taking. And for a lot of us, we get to this spot in life where, or at least I do, maybe you don't. I get to this spot in life where I'm kind of sitting back going, oh, we'll see what happens. I'm going to wait and see. We'll see, you know, if this looks like it's all working out good, I'll, I'll probably jump on board. We'll see. Getting our hands around the mission and the purpose that God has for us requires some risk-taking. It requires faith. That's, it's inescapable. For us to experience all that God has in our personal lives, risk-taking, faith, is going to be involved. For us to be effective as a, a church, risk-taking is going to be involved. And God desires for us to trust in him. That's, that's the reason for it. My exhortation to you, what I want to say to you is risk it. We have the choice in every situation to live by faith or to live by fear. And I'm saying, risk it. You know what? When, when you choose wrong, guess what God does? He course corrects. He, he doesn't just go, well, you messed that one up, so tough luck. Don't be afraid to risk it because God will make the most incredible course correction if you go wrong. Risk it. Put your faith in him. Uh, when I was a kid, I lived in Montana, and Jake's going to come help me out with something. Uh, if you don 't know just a little time out here today 's jake 's birthday this young man is twenty three years old today so, jake's jake 's going to set something up for me here in the uh, background When I was a kid, I lived in Montana now, if knowing that about me makes you want to leave i won 't hold that against you yes it 's a weird place uh, and my family lived on this this hill on our street was a pretty good slope, not crazy steep just just steep enough that as a first grader, I could ride my bike fast enough to pass the cars going the same way like they were standing still. So probably, I don't know, 30, 35, 45 miles an hour. When you weigh 40 pounds, that's pretty fast. So I lived on the corner, and two blocks up the hill, my friend Josh lived right there. And we would, we would trudge our bikes up the hill to his house and then scream down the hill to my house and back up. And we would just do this for hours. Right? At 38, that sounds terrible, but at 6, it was awesome. Um, thanks, Jake. And uh, the thing we thought was, you know, the only thing cooler than screaming down this, this hill to my house would be screaming down this hill to a sweet bike ramp. So we we got every mom is like, oh, oh my goodness! It was a different time, and it was Montana. So uh, we we decided we're gonna build this bike ramp, and we started laying the most uh, most elaborate plans for this bike ramp. We really could have used you that day, Marshall. Marshall was an engineer, so he would have come in really, really handy there. Uh, we decided to build this bike ramp, and, uh, and we actually started, like, drawing a little outline, on a piece of paper about this bike ramp, and a couple of our other buddies came along to do it, and uh, there was a lot of development going on in our neighborhood there, a lot of new houses being built, so we had ample supplies, right, because when the crews went home, we just raided their, raided their work area. I'm not proud of that either. Wow. This is going downhill. And uh, so we built this bike ramp, and we spent way more time thinking about and designing the bike ramp in our minds than we actually did using the bike ramp, but we were excited. And, you know, the talk the whole time was, well, I'm going to jump 10 feet. I'm going to jump 20. I'm going to jump farther than you because I'm lighter than you, and I have a better bike, so it'll go faster. And, like, this is just our dialogue as we're, you know, raiding the construction zone. And, and uh, we, we finally get this bike ramp put together. And here was the problem. We built the ramp. This is our bike ramp right here. We built the ramp, and we got our bikes out, and we stared at the bike ramp. And everyone was thinking, I hope somebody else will go on that first. We built the bike ramp, but we were terrified to use the bike ramp. We probably deliberated for like an hour maybe. I, I don't know. I mean, this was a while ago. We deliberated for a long time about who was going to go on the bike ramp and why I couldn't be first and why you should be first. We were, we were deathly afraid for all the effort we put into designing the perfect bike ramp and talking smack about who was going to be you know, the best at using it. We were all scared of using it. Some of you are like, okay, I see where you're going. I don't know if I like this. We do this in church all the time. I do this in church. I won't pin that on you. You can decide for yourself. Spent a lot of time studying what Jesus said to do and learning about how to minister to other people. But then when it comes time to take the risk, um, you should go first, Pastor Mike. That seems like a better plan for me. I, I do this. I, I can't, even, can't even begin to tell you how many times I've I've done that. We live this same way. I acquire skills and God gives me gifts. And then in the end, when it's game time, my skills and gifts just go dormant often. That's That's the way it works. And there's no condemnation in that, because guess what? If we took a show of hands who's done that before, Eh, it's going to be a pretty big number. So you're not alone. Thank goodness God is gracious, right, because I need it it often. But that's something in my life that I'd like to see change. I'd like to to pass less often and take the risk more often. So some of you need closure on the story uh, of the bike ramp. I had this idea we're riding our bikes. I guess it's this way. We're riding our bikes up the hill to Josh's house and it's a couple blocks up the hill there. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, we're, we're getting pretty far away from this bike ramp. Uh, I mean, it's down there a ways. So if I just, if I said I'd be first and I took off down the hill, my friends would be like, yeah, he's the man. They might not say it because they want to be the man, but they'll be like, he's going for it. He's not afraid. But by the time I get all the way down to the ramp, I'll be pretty far away, and they probably won't be able to notice that I'm, like, jamming on my brakes to slow down before I go off the ramp. So this is my plan. I'm at the top of the hill, and I'm going to take off, and then I'm going to slow down at the last possible second. And the problem is, when you're going, like, 40 miles an hour, that last 20 feet where I was going to apply the brakes went by pretty quick. <laughs> I completely missed the mark, and I was still, like, pedaling full speed as I launched off the ramp. I mean, I just I hit the ramp, and I just soared like an eagle, really. Uh, and, uh, and here's what happened, though. I, I'm in the air, and I felt like I was 20 feet high. But the reality is, as you can see, a bullet could not get 20 feet of air off of this ramp. It was literally a cinder block and a piece of plywood, a little wider than this one. I, I was probably 12 inches off the ground. And at the end of it all, the fear of taking the risk, the risk, the idea of the risk was way more risky than the actual risk because I just went off the ramp, landed on my wheels, and rode back up the hill and everyone realized it was no big deal. They didn't think I was that awesome. The fear of the risk, my mental image of the risk was 10 times more risk than the actual than the actual risk. And so often that's how it works with the small things that God's God's leading me to do and calling me to do just in my everyday life to encourage other people to be his witness in the world and just love the people around me. So often the idea of that risk is much bigger in my mind than it actually is in reality. I get paralyzed by that. And we come to a crossroads right here today as a, as a church that's seen a lot of change. Our church, center church, is experiencing the same thing. We're going from being a new church plant to we exist right now. Uh, I have no question about whether or not we'll actually be there next year anymore. Uh, we're at this crossroads, like okay, everything's good now, you know we're we're sort of stabilizing in your case, you know, you have Pastor Mike, who's, as you have probably found out already, is really good at a lot of things and has incredible character. I've known him long enough to vouch for that. Uh, it would be very easy to say, "Yeah, we're good now thank goodness we're safe. It would be easy to do that, but the question is, are we going to settle into that or Are we going to press harder into the risk to accomplish the mission that God's laid before us? And it's such a critical question because the answer to the question will determine what kind of Christian you're going to be, what kind of follower of Christ you're going to be, and what kind of church this is going to be, what kind of impact it's going to have in the community. The answer to that question is going to make that decision. What kind of Christ follower will I be? I want to have the guys in the back play a brief video for you in just a second, but the context of it is, it's a guy calling into a coworker and he's leaving a voicemail to tell him he's going to be late. Uh, it's actually just an audio recording of the voicemail, and while he's leaving the voicemail, something happens and Gil here. So go, go right ahead, guys. Excuse
2: me, I'm on my way to 3768. Kind of got hung up. It's raining out here. I'm on the way into Dallas. Uh, thought, Whoa, whoa, man, I just had a wreck right in front of me. This guy ran a red light and hit uh, hit four old ladies in a in an Impala. Just kind of clipped them and turned them around right in front of me, man. That was close. Oh, now this guy's getting out of his car. He got a he Got a white shirt on with a tie and a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. He's throwing his hands up in the air like he like like it was their fault. Oh, hold on, hold on. He's going over their window. Oh man, she, I think she sprayed him with pepper spray, man. He's on his he's on his face and he's on his knee. she's getting out, she's beating him with an umbrella. <laughs> the other women are getting out there.
1: Ask God one thing: make me laugh like that guy. (laughs) Have you you ever felt like somebody figuratively was hitting you over the head with the Bible? Ever felt that way? We've been having some fun with this thing at our uh, at our church. We call this the NVI 6000, and uh, it's pretty substantial. I think you could you could do some damage with that guy. have you ever had someone use the Bible or use their faith in a way that was inconsistent with what it actually says? Okay, here's a harder question. We got a lot of yeses on that one. Have you ever been the person using it? You know you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm going there? You ever, you ever been that lady? I'm sure I have. Uh, yeah, I've been, I haven't been that lady. Thank you. Thank you. I should have known that you have to be really careful when Nikki Whitman's in the room if you don't know that yet. It's important to choose your words very wisely, but have you ever ever been the person who was in, a, in that moment really religious, just religious enough to take my own morality that looked pretty good compared to somebody else's and just just hammer them with it. you ever, you ever done that before? Uh, we do this in mass sometimes, right? We read it about we read about it on the news here. just recently, there was a church in the Northeast that was just like crazy abusive to people for. You know you know being human, <laughs> making mistakes, here's the thing about this when we when we use the Bible in a way that it wasn't wasn't intended to be used, like tape it to a pipe and hit people with it, when we do that, it's a legitimate weapon, and it will drive people really far from god it It will be done, and we all know people that's that's happened to. Religion bothers me. Religious people bother me. I bother myself when I'm a religious person. It's irritating because I'm using this thing in a manner in which Jesus never intended. When you read his life, the only people he ever hit over the head with the scriptures were the people who were hitting others over the head with the scriptures. That's, that's the only time he ever did it. For everybody else, he just had unlimited grace for them. This thing can do a lot of damage when it's used inappropriately. It really, really can when it's used without the purposes of Christ in mind, it'll hurt people. And if we choose safety and comfort within the four walls of our church and we let Pastor Mike be the professional Christian, uh, that would be easy to do because he is really good at a lot of things. Uh, that would be really easy for us to do. But If we choose safety over mission, we remove the mission, guess what's left? Religion. If we remove the mission, then that's all we have left. If we have if we have no sense of god's purpose in our lives, all we are is religious. Ouch. That's just that's just a pointed reality and I'm 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 telling that to myself all the time. Everything we've said so far points towards this end. Take the risk to accomplish the mission. Live by faith to accomplish the mission. Take the risk, accomplish the mission. But we really have to answer one important question, and that's this. What's the mission? sort of a critical piece of the puzzle. How will I know if it's worth the risk if I don't if I don't know what the mission is? In broad strokes, just across the board, big picture, we all have the same mission. Specifically here at Celebration Center, Pastor Mike is the guy along with the elders who he works with, they they get to determine how we're going to how we're going to uh, accomplish God's big mission in specific steps. He's the guy that God has said you're here not to execute, but according to Ephesians 4, to equip the saints to do the works of ministry. So specifically, Pastor Mike gets to talk about that. Broad strokes, we all have the same, the same mission at a high level. Maybe you're familiar with the Great Commission. At the end of Jesus' life, he says to his followers, I'm not going to be with you physically any longer, but here's what I want you to do. Go out and make disciples everywhere everywhere you go, and teach them to do what I've told you to do. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says in Mark 16:15 to his followers, he says, go out into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And then again in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, at the very end of his, his earthly ministry, this is the very last recorded statement we have of Jesus to his followers. He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when my spirit dwells within you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people the good news everywhere, in Jerusalem where they were, in Judea and Samaria, the surrounding area, and to the ends of the earth. You'll receive power to be my witnesses. So here's how that plays out in our life. You know, just before the year 1400 B.C., about 1445 B.C., a guy named Aaron becomes the first priest of Israel. Aaron was the brother of Moses. Maybe you've seen the movie, Prince of Egypt, Parting of the Red Sea. And uh, Aaron and his sons become the priesthood. And throughout, throughout the history of Israel, generation to generation, the priesthood stayed in their family. And they had a very specific role. They were God's ambassadors. They were the Old Testament equivalent of his witnesses. They stood between God and man. Only they could go into the presence of God. And they represented God to the people. And they represented the people to God. It's a little different than the mental picture maybe that I have of a priest. I I don't know what yours is. But here's the thing. It was a good system because it was God's system. And God had a specific purpose in mind to bridge the gap between him and and the people. That was the role of the priest, to stand between, to bridge that gap. But their humanity, like it so often does, sort of, uh, you know, bobbled or fumbled the mission a little bit. 1,400 years go by, and what's happened with the priesthood is they've become elitist. They have said, you know what, we're going to actually just withdraw from the people a little bit because, you know, we're God's chosen, and we just want to stay really closely connected to him and not let... You know, the humanity kind of get on us. And so rather than closing the gap, they actually withdrew from the people and had an elitist mentality. And it's easy to see why, right? They thought they were special because they were special. They were God's chosen people. The thing they lost was they lost God's heart for the people. They missed, that, they missed the mission that God was trying to accomplish by making them his special people. God was trying to close the gap, but they actually widened it. So 1,400 years go by, and Jesus comes on the scene and starts to say the most preposterous things you could possibly imagine. Matthew chapter 5, there's a huge crowd following him, the religious people, the, the good people, you know, the church folks, they're there. And he's addressing the crowd, and he says, you, you in the blue shirt, you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And of course, the religious people are going, oh, no, 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 actually, actually, we're the light of the world. But Jesus starts to say to just everyday people, you will be my witnesses. No, no, no. no, actually, that's us. Jesus says, no, you will be my witnesses. Not just the person next to you, not just the good people. You will be my witnesses. And Jesus takes the presence of god and the mission of god and all of a sudden he gives it away to all of his followers and says you will be my witnesses and then pentecost comes in acts chapter 2 and god sends his spirit just as jesus said he would he sends it into the world and it it lives within his followers so now everywhere that someone who follows christ goes the presence and the power of god goes with no longer do they go to the priest because jesus is their advocate now the power of God is with them. So if someone needs to be healed, guess who gets to pray for him? Anyone who has the Holy Spirit, the followers of Christ. They don't have to go find the priest. The power of God goes with them into their mission field. So here's where it comes back around to the beginning. It comes full circle in First Peter chapter 2, verse 4. This is what it says. It says, as you come to him, him being Jesus, as you come to Jesus, the living stone, Who was rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to Him? You also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You now are the priesthood. We are the priesthood. That's our new purpose, that's our mission, that's our identity. To be what the Old Testament priests were intended to be, but could not. We're God's ambassadors in the world. If you read down to verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You now, and when I say you, I actually mean you, are the priesthood. It's not the special people somewhere at a seminary or, you know, who live in the basement of a big Gothic church. You are the priesthood. God's mission, I don't know why he did it this way. In my opinion, it wasn't, you know, the most efficient way he could have done it. But his mission of reconciling all things to himself goes forward through you, through me. You are the priesthood. The message paraphrase of the Bible says in verse 9, but you are the ones chosen by God chosen for the high calling of priestly work if you're a follower of christ you're chosen now to do the work that once belonged to the priesthood because you are the priesthood you're god's agent on the earth no longer an outsider no longer necessarily having to go to an elite group of people you are the priesthood so this is my exhortation to you My imploration or a bunch of other words that end with Asian. Take the risk to accomplish the mission because you've been chosen as God's priesthood, as his agents on the earth. You're his ambassadors. Been called by God to be his witnesses. Take the risk to accomplish the mission. Take the risk to be the priesthood. You're chosen by God for that high calling of ministry. Doing the work that he wants to accomplish on the earth. Take the risk to accomplish the mission. Being ruled by faith, not by fear. Be ruled by faith, not by fear. I love you. I really mean that. I wouldn't say that if I didn't. I think that you have a beautiful, beautiful mission laid before you. And I praise God for bringing your new pastor. I praise God for your elders who have led this church so well. Take the risk to accomplish the mission. Pastor Mike's going to come and pray over us because I think that's all I've got to say about that.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) appreciate you, Great job.